I know what you're thinking. You saw me out running around, and I left the first two pages of today's message in my office. Yeah, I know. Some of you wished I'd left them there to make it a little even shorter. I actually had somebody say to me that uh, I just I just like I don't go long because I don't go long to teenagers, but um, that I go shorter and. They don't have to go in out and take a, a bathroom break halfway through the service today, you know, or anytime. So for those of you that have that, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> but we all need reminders. That's what this whole series is about. We need to be reminded of things that we do in our lives constantly. But I want you to know something, that when I'm up here preaching, I'm preaching to myself. You guys just happen to be listening in on it. So I'm preaching to me because I need what the Holy Spirit has given me this morning. If Officer Maignan or if Officer Martinez de Viglas or if Officer Hubbard or if Officer Basil or if Officer Weldon these are ones that are in our church, by the way. They come up and all of a sudden, they, they, you don't know this, but you're driving along and then you look out your rearview mirror and you see these wonderful blue and red lights. And you know immediately that they're pulling you over. So they pull you over and they get out of their squad car and the first question that they ask you, because they, they want to remind you of something, they say, do you realize how fast you were going? And obviously, we know we were speeding. We just don't know how fast we were going. And we'd say, no, I don't know how fast I was going. Then they proceed to let you know how fast you were going and that, that you were well above the legal posted sign out there. Well, you know, they do this to make them look good for their performance evaluation. We know it better as a ticket quota, don't we? Just kidding. All my wonderful police officers here. But when you get that ticket and they leave and they go back to their squad car, you get your phone out and you go, uh, Siri, Call the ticket clinic. Siri calls the ticket clinic because it's in your phone. And you they, an, you, you they answer the phone, and then you say, listen, I got pulled over. And they recognize you by your voice. And then let you know, hey, you're in our rewards program. This one's not going to cost you anything. Don't ask me how I know. But the fact remains... We need to be reminded all the time. Author Tom Heyman in his book, In an Average Lifetime, says that an average person spends 13 years watching TV, makes 1,800 trips to McDonald's. I'm well over that. I've got two kids. Eats 35,138 cookies. Again, I'm well over that. He catches, or they catch, 304 colds. Still don't know why anybody would want to go out and catch a cold, but they do. And they spend 24 years sleeping their life away. How do these numbers compare to your life? You say, I'm only 10. <laughs> no, not yet. 
But those of you that are older, they might mean something to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1. My text this morning is out down in verse 10. I'm going to use a lot of scriptures again this week. So I hope you can catch up with me. I put some PowerPoints on. Hopefully you can read them uh, or write them down. That might help you this week. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 10. The Bible says, this is the, uh, the CEV edition, live a life that honors the Lord and you will always please him by doing good deeds. You will come to know God even better. His glorious power will make you patient and strong enough to endure anything, and you will be truly happy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a wonderful time that we were singing praises to you, but now we come to the important time of getting into your word. And Father, I pray that as I say something to myself this morning, that Father, it will have an impact on somebody in this auditorium. God, remind us of the things that we need to be reminded of as to how we need to live our lives for you. I pray that we'll wipe away all the things that are important to us this afternoon or what we think are important to us. Help us, oh God, to focus our attention for the next few minutes upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. From last week, if you remember, Timothy is to live his life as an example for others. He is to literally be the example. We, you and I, as Christians, are to be a pattern for another person to follow. We are to make an impact on someone else's life that will leave an impression. The first outward quality, remember the first two qualities are outward, the other three are inward that I'm going to be doing in this uh, series. The first one of these outward qualities are a quality that is, these the first two are visibly seen by others. And that first quality that you need to possess is that of speech. This was what I talked about last week. That our speech ought to be God glorifying. But because, of, that because sin has distorted our speech, it has distorted it so much to the point that we cannot even recognize that a person is a child of God through their speech. This morning, I want to look now at the second quality that as a Christian, we should possess in our lives. It is our conduct, our behavior, our lifestyle. What is lifestyle? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it is defined as this, the way a person lives. In other words, how one acts around different people in different places at different times. This is your lifestyle. And your lifestyle impacts those who are, you are around. Think for a moment of a teacher, maybe back in grade school, that had a great impact on you. Mine was my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Standiford. He got me loving school in the fourth grade, and especially loving math in the fourth grade. He was my all-time favorite teacher. How about a family member who has influenced you? Maybe a friend, someone at church. Have you made a difference in someone's life? Do you think that you've made an impact on that person's life in a positive way? How is the overall direction of your life going? Are you happy with the way you're living? Or could you do better? 
You should strive, you should want to strive to be the best example to others that you can possibly be, no matter what it is that you do. Why is that? Because our lives affirm or they validate to the public the existence of God. Our lives are to affirm the existence of, of God. Your lifestyle needs to set that proper example to those you come in contact with on a daily basis. If you want to turn to it, it's Luke chapter 10, verse 27. It might be up on the board, I don't know. And it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We know that. And your neighbor as yourself. That word neighbor we think of uh, as the ones that are living right next door to us. But that's not what the verse mean, or the word means. The word neighbor is those that you are constantly coming in contact with. So if you love your neighbor, those that you're constantly in contact with, you should love your neighbor as yourself. It's the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Do unto others is what? You would have them do unto you. Right. So if you treat your neighbors and you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, it's going to change the way you live. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there, the story of the Good Samaritan. There was a lawyer who was testing Jesus, and he asked him a simple question. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, de and departed, leaving this guy half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We've been in church long enough that, you know, we've talked about the priests and the Levites and uh, those, it would be like me, but you got to understand there was something different there. The priest wasn't sure that this guy was dead, and in order to find out if he was dead, he had to go up and touch him. And if he was going to touch him, the priest would then have been defiled, and he would have had to have gone through this long cleansing ceremony, and so in the mind of the priest, it wasn't worth, to get, worth it to get involved with this guy. It wasn't worth it. He didn't want to go through the, the, the process that he would have to do in order to find out if this guy was living. And so he walks the other way. Well, then this, the Bible continues on. And he says, so likewise a Levite, virtually the same scenario here as the priest. When he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Now, I'm sure at this point, because they've done those that are in a high authority, that Jesus, the, the, the people listening to Jesus were now, or the lawyer, was going to thinking, all right, he's going to say some other prominent figure outside of the religious realm. But then Jesus literally threw them a curveball. And he says this. They weren't expecting this. But a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. You and I would read that and we'd gloss right over and it would mean absolutely nothing. Until we would come to John 4, 9, 
when you find out that the Jews had absolutely no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And I'm sure the Samaritans hated the Jews. And so we, had, we finally hear that these would have been the last people that Jesus would have talked about. The last group of people. Because they weren't expecting this out of his mouth. And it says this, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this Jewish man was, and when he saw him, I love this next phrase, he had compassion. Compassion goes a long way. We need to have compassion in our life. And he went to him, and look what he does. He binds up his wounds. He pours oil and wine on them. The oil and wine was used like an antiseptic. Then he sat him on his own animal, which now meant that this guy had to walk. The Samaritan had to walk. He, he put this Jewish man up on top of his, whatever he had, a donkey, whatever he was riding, he had to put it on there, and he was walking. And then it says, and brought him to an inn, or a hotel, and took care of him. He knew that taking care of him on the street was one thing. Now he brings him to an inn, and he continues to treat his wounds. But then it goes on. And the next day, he took out two denarii. Now, two denarii would, be, would have been the equivalent of about two months' stay at this inn. That's a lot. Now, not in today's standards when you go to a hotel, you know, but back then it was very, very cheap. And it was two months, almost two months that this Samaritan had given to the innkeeper and he says, listen, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This Samaritan went above and beyond what others already had thought he had done a, all, you know, a lot, not just taking care of him on the street, but taking care of him in the hotel room. Now he's paying for the hotel room for two months. And he tells the innkeeper, if you spend more money on this guy, I'll pay you back when I come back. And the key is, he was taking care of someone who hated him. And Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What would happen if you and I started to live our lives this way? A genuine love for God and a genuine love for our neighbor, those that we come in contact with every single day we might actually begin to change the world. Your lifestyle needs to set that proper example also, secondly, for those who are younger than you are. Titus chapter two, beginning in verse one tells us, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, 
are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness or in patience. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled or slandered or even discredited. You do these things in your life so that the word of God is true. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be the model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may put you to shame having nothing evil to say about you. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous. This is the way we ought to be. We are to be zealous or we are to be eager and to live our lives for good works. You should want to live. You should have a desire to live a spirit-filled life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 tells us, But as he who is called is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. James chapter 3 tells us, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, you know that wisdom, true wisdom, can only come from God. And that is why we have to ask God for wisdom in our life. James chapter 1 and verse 5. He continues, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, in other words, if you have these things in your heart, jealousy, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you cannot claim God's wisdom in your life. What he continues on, do not boast and be false in the truth. This is, what, this is not what wisdom that comes from above. This is earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, and demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Confusion and disorder will inevitably break out in the church. We are all sinners. We're just saved by grace. But these are going to, confusion is going to break out in the church. And we're Christians, especially Christian leaders, especially pastors who are more interested in pursuing their own desires. We know a lot of pastors like that. They would rather pursue their own desires than to focus on the needs of the body of Christ in their church. This should not be because... God is not the author of confusion. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. He's not the author of confusion or disorder. But 1 Corinthians 14, uh, also 1440 tells us that as well. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, 
gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere, James concludes. Those sound very familiar, don't they? Because they actually are part of the fruit of the Spirit that we as Christians ought to possess. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other. I don't know about you, but I have constantly a battle going on inside of me. The things that, you know, Paul had the same thing. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. We have a constant struggle inside of us. We have our worldly nature competing against our spiritual nature. And the, and the desire here that Paul's saying is, let your desires of the spirit supersede those desires of the flesh. And he continues on, that we are to have these things uh, to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Man, he gives a long list, doesn't he? And then he says this. And these things, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, I like the word but there, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Through living a Spirit-filled life, your lifestyle can bring others to Christ or it will push them further away from Christ. Your lifestyle will affirm the truth or it will do its best to try to disprove the truth. Your lifestyle will build up your beliefs or your lifestyle will tear down your beliefs. Our lives are to confirm that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the way our lives are to do. They're first of all to affirm, and then we are to confirm that we have a personal relationship with Christ. And the way we must prove that to others is how we live our lives. And how do we do this? First of all, through a believing faith. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. The second reason we can do this is through an obedient lifestyle. 1 John chapter 2 tells us when we obey God, we are sure that we know him. But if we claim to know him and don't obey him, we are lying and the truth is not in our hearts. We truly love God only when we obey him as we should. And then, when, and then we know that we belong to him if we obey him. If we say we are his, we must follow the example of Christ. And then thirdly, we need to uh, live a loving lifestyle. 1 John 4, 7 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. And then fourthly, we need to live a clean lifestyle. First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 tells us this, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, uh, the, the, in the, world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from above, uh, for, is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires. And then we need to live our lives, our lifestyle through worshiping. Worshiping. It's what we do today. Romans chapter 12 tells us that I appeal. Paul, Paul is saying, I'm begging you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. Giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may uh, test, that you may discern what the will of God is and what is that good, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will for your life. So how can you make your life count? How can you make your life count? First thing that we need to do is flee the appearance of evil. Flee the appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22 tells us that we need to abstain from every form of evil. You remember the song growing up, maybe as a kid in, in children's church? I know I sang it with my children's church. It said, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know, and uh, it goes on and on and on. It says, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. We need to watch what we do and how we live our lives because it will impact others around you. Secondly, we need to compare our actions to a biblical standard. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 tells us, Finally, my friends, keep your minds on whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. That does not go for just here on Sunday morning from 1030 to 1130 or 12 o'clock. It is something that we need to put and implement in our lives always and constantly. The third thing that we need to do is seize every opportunity to help others. Ephesians 5, 6, 15 tells us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We also need to be a soul winner. We need to, we need to be witnesses for Christ wherever we are at. Proverbs eleven thirty tells us, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. We then need to give God the praise and the glory. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Colossians 3.23 tells us, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do the people around you know that you are a Christian Simply by watching your lifestyle and how you live, do they? Oh, be careful how you live your life and how your life appears to others, especially the non-Christian. 
It has been said that your life may be the only Bible that the non-Christian will read. That saying came from St. Francis of Assisi when he said these words, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless you are walking in our preaching. How is your life preaching to others? How is your life preaching to others? How are you going to be making an impact on the others around you with the example that you are supposed to be leaving in your lifestyle? Would God be pleased as to how you are living today? As a Christian, our conduct should match our speech. That's why Timothy, and Paul tells Timothy, in speech first, then your conduct, because it goes hand in hand. I don't know if you know this or not, but I love to play softball. Loved it ever since I was in college. Been playing ever since I was in college. I wish I could play more. I was playing seven days a week. Now I'm playing one. I got a family. I got a wife. I got to make sure that I'm not out all the time. But there was one time we were in a softball tournament, a church softball tournament. Now, if you know anything about church leagues, most of them are non-Christian people, okay? But they have the name of the church right on their, their jersey. And so we were at this tournament in another town. And so I, uh, I, I, I got passionate back then to want to play softball and to want to win at all costs. You know, it was just the nature of me and, and that. And uh, I played left field at the time. And I went and I dove and I made, a, I made a really good catch. And I caught the ball and we threw it in and we were, we were down by one run. Got up, there's a guy next inning. The winning run, or the tying run, sorry, yeah, the tying run was on third base. The winning run was on second base. That day I'd gone four for four. I had two doubles and two triples. I was doing really good. And I got up there, and I got ready to hit this ball. I got the winning run at second base. We're going to win this tournament. And if we lost, we were out. And I got up there, and I hit the ball, and I missed it. Anybody that's played softball, you know you don't like to miss a ball. And it went straight up in the air, and the pitcher came in and caught it. Third out. We were done for the tournament. We didn't win, didn't even, we came in third place. I didn't like that very well. Of course, you shake hands, and I just, like, I didn't want to look at anybody. I'm shaking hands, you know, nice game. I didn't say anything. The other team's over there. They're, they're getting ready to play another game, and I go, and I take my bat. Now, if you understand bats in softball, they are not cheap. Every one of my bats costs $300. I haven't paid for one of them yet. <laughs> I get them free going to softball spring training. And so I got this bat didn't cost me that much, but I took this bat, and, and we were going over. I was the team captain, too. I was, I was the youth pastor of the church. I was, you know, I was just doing, and I just pick up my softball bat, and we're going over to where we were supposed to meet, and I take that softball bat, and there happened to be a tree right here, and I took that bat, and I swung that bat as hard as I could against that tree to take out my frustrations. And that aluminum bat split right in half. Didn't do any damage to that tree. 
And I looked across, and my dad was walking up. I know what look Jesus gave Peter after he denied him. It had to be the same look that my dad gave me that day. He didn't, he didn't say a word. It was a two-hour trip home. I didn't say anything. But that event changed my life. You know why? It wasn't what he was doing. It was the other team that saw me. The non-Christians. And one of them I heard say this. I knew that he would do something because Christians don't act that way. Hmm. I never, I've lost my temper a few times, but I never after that, softball just became a game to me. Didn't become that important. Because our lives are the most powerful tool that we have to impact others to be an example before others, and to prove to others that God is real. I saw an interview with Tim Tebow yesterday. And there was a question posed to him by a, some sports announcer and said this, with the world around us so anti-Christian, how do you keep your faith so strong, Tim? And Tim goes, first thing out of his mouth, I'm a Jesus follower. I love Jesus with all my heart. And when you believe in him, you can't help it. You can't help but come out in, but you, sorry, you can't, it can't help but come out in your life through your actions and your behavior. That's a remarkable statement. When Jesus lives in you, it, you can't help but let him come out and let others see it. Brennan Manning, he was a Marine, U.S. Marine fought in the Korean War. He later became a Franciscan priest and an author. And he is quoted as saying, and I love this quote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today, get this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. I want us to go out this week. I want us to live our lives differently. Let them, let Christians, let non-Christians see Jesus in your life this week. Don't walk out these doors and deny him. Walk out these doors and live for him this week. Let's pray. Father, I know exactly what's going to happen. And that even goes for me, and that is we're going to walk out this place and not be different on how we live our lives for you. But God, I pray that there's some in here that will. I pray that you will help me this week to be that example that I need for others to see. Let people see Jesus in us. Let our lives be an example for Christ this week 
as we leave this place. Let us honor you with our, not only our lips, but honor you with our lifestyle. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.